0: Thank you so much, Beth and team. Absolutely beautiful. The uh, Thanksgiving message is usually one that I invite you to think about, um, not only all that you've been given, but next year and how... um, you might give uh, to this community of faith and support of vision and direction, and we're going to get there. But I know this won't come as a surprise to you. I felt completely redirected, and and really transformed this message. Just felt like the the Lord was continuing to stir in me um, a slightly different emphasis. Um, especially while I was reading Immerse Messiah with many of you. And I wanted to start with this question. When was the last time that you decided just to give up on something? That you decided life is too short. (laughs) This particular thing is not worth it. I'm out, right? When was the last time you were like, I'm out on something or came really, really close to deciding that you wanted to give up. Was that a person, a job, church, anything, an activity? I asked my, uh, one of my daughters, Cambria, if I could share this story. She was in cheerleading for the first two years of high school, freshman and sophomore. And wow, the commitment level To be a cheerleader today, the cost, right? Um, Not to mention the, the sacrifice of other things that you have to do. And then you throw in the drama of being a cheerleader. And I never want my kids to quit midway through anything. When they've made a commitment, I want them to see it through the season. But I do encourage them to, at the end of a season, in the next season, would you evaluate whether it's worth it, whether you want to re-engage. And I strongly encourage Camby to really think about, is it worth it? In this in this junior year, and in the grand scheme of things, I didn't want to make the decision for her, but she she did decide at least to take a break from this year. Whew. No, no, no. I, she, either way, I was a supporter, but it, it was a challenge. How about you? Is there anything in the deeper matters of life? Think about a job. Think about uh, was there a time when you said, "Listen, the the stress level is just too high. It, it's a, such a personal cost to me. I have to stop." I was serving a, a church outside of San Diego in Chula Vista. It was a it was a large church, and I struggled continually with the culture that was there. I felt like on the staff team, it was dramatically unhealthy and I was wrestling and I think that my supervisors recognized my struggle. And I had to weigh this high cost. I had been there for a year, and I had to decide, was I going to continue on wrestling? And they were putting pressure, and they were asking, Eric, we want you to decide, are you in or out? And part of my struggle was how they treated other staff persons. And when they gave any indication of being out, sometimes they were fired right on the spot. And I decided, for long-term ministry, I have to be out even if that means out of a job, unemployed, all those kind of things. And I made that decision. I said, I can't. No, this is so different from who I am and my beliefs. I can't continue on. Have you been there with a job? Have you been there with a church? Have you been there in a relationship? I think every marriage reaches most marriages, I'll say it that way, reaches that, that tipping point, because marriage is hard, right? And, and you face that question, and you wrestle with that, and I think it's far more than simply a question of, uh, is it worth it or not? You have to weigh in the commitment you've made before God, and to one another, and all those things. I was talking with a friend who had just made a decision to enter divorce and i had enough relational capital where i could press in and weigh in and say listen i i think there's more to it can can we work together i'm sorry to say i couldn't convince that friend they quit in matters of faith have you ever been there as part of your journey with the lord Have you ever stepped away? Have you ever been tempted to say, you know what, this is too hard. This is not, I I am not getting out. God, you are not who I thought you were and have you stepped away? Maybe you have friends and family who have done that. I was just reading a story of someone who said, if Christianity is a girlfriend, I first broke up with them or at least took a break and, and then I broke up. As I was reading over Immersed Messiah, especially the book of 2 Corinthians, if you have brought your Bibles, I encourage you to do that. Would you bring, uh, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians is right after... Good, yes, you're with me. 1 Corinthians. And really, um, there's two sections in there in 2 Corinthians where, where Paul talks about his hardships and his struggles. One is in chapter 11, where he actually is kind of boasting. He's doing it in a a false way. He's saying, I can't believe I have to do this. But he's talking about all that he's been shipwrecked, that he's been flogged, uh, whipped 40 times minus one. I think he said three times, um, or was that... Uh, That was five times. He's been beaten with rods three times. He was stoned one time, and not in the Colorado sense, but in the Middle Eastern sense. He was literally at death's doorway several times, all right? In chapter 11, in in chapter six, he's talking about also his hardships. Look at verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter six. He says this. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in any, every way. So he's talking to the Corinthian church, which he started, and yet there's issues going on in the church. And they're actually doubting Paul's apostolic authority and they're actually criticizing. Paul has heard criticism from the church that he started. He's hearing criticism and I I thought this was so poignant not only because Paul had to face physical struggle and difficulty and pain but now relational and spiritual pain of the people that he had uh, served so well they were criticizing. And he says this to them um, We've commended ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report, people saying bad things about us, and good report, people saying good things about us, genuine, yet regarded as imposters... So living genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection for you, but you are withholding holding yours from us can you hear in Paul's words he's saying we've commended ourselves in every way as a fair exchange I speak as to you children open wide your hearts also he's saying we have opened wide our hearts to you we've lived the best that we can and yet they were claiming that Paul was so strong in his letters when he wrote, but weak in person. They were claiming that he was not a very good communicator. They were claiming that he was a weaker apostle, that they had better apostles besides Paul. And he's wrestling through this, and he's arguing and inviting them to open their hearts back to them. I think it's fair to say that Paul was pushed to the limit. In fact, the book opens chapter 1 verse 8 with this we were under such great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. The apostle Paul was saying at some moments in his ministry, he was despairing of life itself. And this is the question I wondered. Was Paul ever tempted to quit? Maybe in prison maybe right in the middle of a flogging or maybe a bad report from the Corinthian church was he like you know what I'm out was he ever tempted maybe not just to quit on God maybe to quit on this particular church Corinth and said you know what fine there's a lot of other churches I got Or or maybe just ministry in general. Man, this apostle thing, this church planning thing, rough and rugged. Was he ever tempted to quit? And I found in the, as reading with this question in mind, there's something amazing at Paul that I can't say that I share I wish I did. I'm I'm trying to get there. That the amazing part of Paul is his suffering, his sacrifices, his struggle. In some amazing way, all of those sacrifices drew drew him closer to the Father rather than away from the Father. I'd have to say that is upside down, isn't it? For most of us, that when we face struggle or doubt right or or suffering, what does that have a tendency to do? Am I the only broken sinner that is here that makes me go not turn towards God. what does that make me do? God what what that no that that's not fair at all that That wasn't part of the deal. I thought you loved me. Have you been there? What's up with that struggle? Why so much sacrifice? But somehow... Paul, and I I believe that he had these upside-down perspectives that transformed his understanding of sacrifice, of suffering, of difficulty, that as he wrestled in these things, that these perspectives, this upside-down understanding drove him closer to the Father and, and, and enlarged his love and capacity for the Father rather than reduced it. And as I was reading specifically 2 Corinthians, I was asking, what are those perspectives? How how can I get there? I am certainly not there yet. I want to share with you these three perspectives that not only did it draw Paul closer to the Father, but then it enabled Paul to say to even a church that was rejecting him in a certain extent, he said, no, 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 keep fighting, keep pressing in, keep sacrificing. God is worth it. Here's the first perspective, and actually all three of these are from 2 Corinthians. One is is that I think from day one, Paul understood that sacrifice was the way of Christ. That there was, from from the very beginning, he understood that this was part of the deal. That he didn't think, he didn't have the idea that the Christian faith was all peaches and cream. Right? I, I think sometimes in the United States, that's our sense of the Christian faith, especially those who have been raised in the Christian faith. We, we think that it's this sense of, oh, life will be so much better. And in many deep and profound ways, I believe that's true. Yet in some other ways, it's a picture of sacrifice and suffering. Now, why is that the way of Christ? Why is the Christian life one of sacrifice? There's a number of reasons, and I remind myself of these reasons. One is we live in a fallen world. We're going to face these difficulties and struggles on a regular basis. Two, we have a very real enemy of our souls. And as we push in, as we live on mission, as we grow in our faith, he is going to come against us. And third, I think Paul understood this from the beginning because it's in the heart of the gospel. It is what Jesus did for us. Jesus, we're about to enter into Advent and we're going to celebrate that he wasn't born in the lap of luxury with a silver spoon in his mouth, right? He was born into poverty and persecution. Paul says this, Second Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become Rich. You see, he's saying that Jesus came from heaven. He was enthroned in heaven and he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, Paul says in Philippians, but let go of that, he became impoverished even to the point not only of this little, you know, stable, a feeding trough born into, but then ultimately dying a sinner's death on the cross. Suffering, He became impoverished so that we might receive the wealth of the gospel. And that was Jesus. And he's our model for life. Jesus took up the cross. And now we know Jesus said, you have a cross. You follow me. I'll lead you. The life I have for you is beautiful and profound and filled with meaning. And yet it's also a road of suffering. That you, whether it's emotional or physical or spiritual, you share in my sufferings. You know, at the very beginning of Paul, when Paul's conversion there's a disciple in Ananias uh, named Ananias that was sent to Paul and uh, Ananias didn't want to go to Paul because Paul was persecuting the church and uh, then Jesus said this to Ananias about Paul he said go this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and my name to the Gentiles and their kings sorry and to the people of Israel which is all good right All good, Paul has a calling, salvation, yes. And then Jesus adds this, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Hmm. Boy, I wish it was just about calling. I wish it was just about God as a God of, of like the prosperity gospel, wouldn't that be awesome if that was true? Right? But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that God says, no, no, no. In this world, you will face many troubles, many difficulties and struggle, but but take heart. I will be with you. I will work through these things. I will take some of the harshest and most difficult things that I allow and I will do this profound work in your life and in your soul and through your life to the world. And I will build my kingdom even using this brokenness, this struggle and the pain. Would you just trust me? Would you trust me? Trust me, that's what faith is. Trust me, especially during the hard times. Would you trust me? I told you this would be true. Don't be shocked. I think sometimes I say, why God? And he says, Eric, do we have to go over this again? I told you this at the beginning. I've told you this annually each year, right? Right? It's the way of things. You know, oftentimes in, in suffering, we, we struggle with whether God loves us. And I heard this analogy from Pastor Timothy Keller that, that struck me and that really maybe our times of suffering is, could be seen in a radically different way. He said this, imagine being in a situation where you were dating someone and you seem to be falling in love. As part of getting to know one another, you let this other person know that you're to be married, that you are going to receive a significant trust fund. Good? And this person said, that is wonderful But I want you to know that makes no difference whether you're rich or poor. I love you for who you are. Now suppose just before the wedding you learn that you actually were not going to get the trust fund. When you relayed that to your spouse-to-be, he or she got so disappointed that they called off the wedding. How would that make you feel what would that tell you about this person's love for you? What would you say? Would you start to say, you never loved me for me, you were using me. You loved me because I was going to get you somewhere, get you something. You didn't love me, you were using me. I wonder if we think about that from God's perspective that as we give our lives to him it's like that engagement and that marriage and then when rough stuff happens we're like God that, that's not good I think I'm out he's like wait I, I wonder if it says more about not his love for us but our love for him what is it rooted on is it rooted on the stuff we get? A blessed life? Or is it simply rooted on him? Because he's our creator. He's the lover of our soul. He's the forgiver of that. In some way, Paul got that. He got, he understood this principle of the kingdom of God. And he was in it, not for the good stuff, but he was in it for Jesus. I want to get there. I want to start, stop questioning his love for me and start reaffirming my love for him in the midst of struggle. There's a, a second perspective that I'll simply say just using this phrase that Paul invites us to believe in God's economy, not the world's economy. And again, this is going to be an upside-down perspective. Um, he says in Second Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, Remember this, he is talking to the Corinthians about following through on what they decided to give to um, actually the Christians in Jerusalem. And he says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver, okay? And we go, oh yeah, we've read that scripture before. But I wanna suggest that um, we don't really, really believe that. See, we understand economy and finances. We can see, you know, harvesting and that. But we really look at at money just from a numbers perspective. We've got this amount of money. If we give a certain portion to church or Compassion International, whatever that is, then this amount of money does what? It diminishes, it shrinks, right? That makes sense, world's economy, right? That's how it works. Paul says, not in God's economy. In fact, you have to flip that upside down, right? The upside down kingdom. You have to understand it, something different. See, the world says this. The world says the more you give, the less you have. But God says, no, actually, the more you give, the more you have, How does that work? How does his economy work like that? Here's how it works. Is that as people of faith, we believe that God is over our bank account. We believe that God is actually not this distant God that has no idea of our finances, of our needs, uh, uh, of any of those things. We believe that God is actually close enough that he is involved. In every aspect of our lives, that in our economy of, of how much we have, it isn't just about hard work, though that includes in that. It's not just about the job we have, the career we have, though it's included in that. But it also includes God's blessing and favor. And sometimes God's pulling away. That we believe that God cares about integrity, that God cares about stewardship, that God cares about generosity. And when He sees that in His children, He wants to bless that with more. That's His economy. And that as we live faithfully, as we steward, as we sacrifice, as we give, we trust God for the increase. You see that? I think if we really believed in God's economy, that would change dramatically how generous we are. Amen? (laughs) didn't get an amen yes yes Yes? do we believe it remember I'm not throwing stones from glass houses I'm wrestling through this myself I'm with you I'm with you now let me uh, let me give this analogy um, we, uh, for some of you who are visiting, we've had uh, in the last year and a half two church plants, one called West Side Oaks, the west side of Colorado Springs, one down south, all nations. And some of you know the, the, the story. I, I, I church planted uh, years ago and believe in church planting, believe it's a, a, a crucial part of extending the kingdom of God. And my plan that God would form a team and a church and we would plant churches eventually down the road. But I didn't want to give away my best leaders. And then Pastor Ben Brooks said, I think I'm, I'm feeling the urge. And I said, well, okay. Let me wrestle through this with God. We'll wrestle together. And I said, God, okay. That wasn't my plan. I wanted Ben to stay here. But at least if he goes, I have Sean. <laughs> Deal, good to go. And Sean came and said, boy, I'm feeling that urge, ready to go. Now, a principle in church planting is this. It, it takes faith in a number of ways. But one way is, is that as you give resources, as you give leaders as you give people away that the, the, the tension of faith and trust is you have to trust in God's economy. You have to trust that God will bring the backfill, the increase. You realize it's a step of faith, right? We're, we're seeking to build a community of faith and yet then when God says, no, I want you to give some of that away, Right? And the tithes and offerings, that's a step of faith. And when you do that, you have to say, okay, God, there's going to be some lean times. The more you give, you trust, the more God will backfill. This struck me recently. I've also been praying for years now, for a do- double portion. Some of you know where that is in scripture. We were preaching Elijah and Elisha, and in the transition, Elisha asked for a double portion, and he was granted a double portion of God's resources. I took that to say, awesome. So I get to pray for a double portion? I'm praying for a double portion, all right? But I don't want to give away a double portion of church plants. You see what I'm saying? You see, I'm praying for a double portion of leaders. As God saying, well, in my economy, I want to see what you do with the leaders that you've been pouring into. Do you trust me? I've been praying for a double portion of vision. Would you trust me to have, to give you more? Of people, trust me, to give it away. Would you have an open hand? A double portion. I think that generosity leads to blessing. Sacrifice leads to blessing. Do you understand? Would you apply this in your own life? Do you really live... With your resources in God's economy, do you really trust him? Or you're like, God, really? Because this, I, right here, I don't know if I can live on that. Right? And he's saying, would you trust me? Yes, but, well, there's a need here, but I, I have needs too, God. You know, I think more and more that God is looking I was struck by this idea that he we are his children, especially when we live like him. God, do you believe that God is a generous God? Do you believe that you're his children? Live like his children? This final verses um, from 2 Corinthians 9, 10, 11, intimately connected with this. Um, it's really about God's character and God's provision. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, 11 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Not a few ways. Not just, oh, well, yes, spiritually, but not. No, no, every way. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be Have a big fat bank account and a sense of security in your finances. Isn't that how we read it? No, generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. How is it, do you see, look at these words and what do those words say about the character and the nature of God? He's talking about increase, right? He's talking about enlarging. He's talking about enriching in every way. God is the increase. But what is he looking for in you and me? that we'd live like him, that we would trust him, that it's not just about dollars and cents and the world's economy. It's about God, his blessing, his favor. I was meeting with a friend and we were talking about my son Luke. I said, you know, Luke is a lot like you. I was like, thanks. It was awesome. yeah. Even some of my quirkiness. He's got some of my quirkiness. That's not all good, right? But I delighted in that. And I think our Heavenly Father delights when we are a people that of faith and trust, that we are a people that are generous, that we are a people that seeks to be a blessing, And I think the Holy Spirit grieves when we're selfish or materialistic or judgmental or critical. We're not looking like Him. I think we grieve the Father. I I, I think I grieve the Father. He can take it. I mean, I... But when I say, why God? And I'm tempted to give up. He wants me to share that. But I I think he wants to grow me beyond that. And he really wants me to live a life of trust and faith. I'm not going to... Sometimes we've handed out cards for the next year and I decided I'm, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna leave this with you and pray about. Would you think about in Thanksgiving as we enter Advent, would you think about um, giving to this church um, and, and your commitment there? And I was thinking not just about next year. I don't know if that's why. I didn't want to hand out cards or anything like that. Sorry, Deacons. But um, I was thinking about the seven-year vision. And really, I was thinking about this invitation is about um, believing and trusting what God is doing over the next seven years. Giving and sacrificing. And I was thinking about how I wanted to invite you. One, would you believe with me? that it really is Jesus who is directing. He's leading. There's a trust there. There's a belief there. But I can tell you this, I might get things wrong, but I'm trying my hardest to see how Jesus is directing this particular community of faith. I was asking you to think about from a place of patience and trust. The seven-year vision is a a big vision. I, I didn't start out making it big. I've never seen a vision as big as this. I was just sharing with some other friends that in this vision, there's some paradigm shifts. There's three actually, upside down thinking. Would you be patient? Would you weigh in? Would you be deeply prayerful with me? Would you get your, listen to what Jesus is saying and doing with me? And then finally, would you find your place in this next year and the years to come, I know I'm supposed to talk about giving, but first and foremost, would you find your place? There's a a, a metaphor that uh, struck me. It is a uh, the seven year vision is a little bit like a a symphony and orchestra, and there's a a, a famous video. It's probably my famous, uh, my favorite uh, flash mob video. Perhaps some of you have seen this on YouTube. I've probably watched it over 20 times. Um, why don't we start the, the video? And would you think about this flash mob in terms of the seven-year vision? But I have to confess that in this past year, there's been times when I've felt like I've been playing by myself. And that's where I relate to that. But but there is a a symphony in my heart that I've been sharing. Well, there's Veda or Natalie. I've been trusting that God would bring others that would share in the seven-year vision. The score, the the music, the sheets of paper is the kingdom life. The knowing the kingdom, the living the kingdom, doing the works of the kingdom. I was thinking about the Holy Spirit. He is the breath in our lungs. He gives us the skill to play finally you know there is four sections to a symphony you've got the string instruments the woodwind the brass the percussion if you add vocalists you have five sections apostolic prophetic evangelistic shepherding and teaching Part of the trust is that God will add the increase. I'll let you enjoy this. Did you find your place in there? Do you play an instrument? Could you be a part of that? We'd love to teach you. What is that instrument that you have? How could you play it? I think God is doing something beautiful in the midst. Now, They didn't become that proficient at those instruments overnight, did they? It took sacrifice. It took work. It it took giving. It took fingers bleeding. It it took vocal cords strained. It, it, It took that work. It took orchestration. And yet it was worth it. Worth it. I know the Lord has called me to keep playing. Keep playing trusting that he is a God of increase and blessing. He has beautiful plans for this community of faith. Let's pray. So, Lord, such a, a spirit of thanksgiving. such a, a spirit of your generosity, of, of your sense of blessing. Lord, forgive us when we doubt. Forgive us, Lord God, when especially we question your love for the times that we have said we're out. Lord, we want to commit to you, to give to you all that you have given us. Jesus, you became poor so that we might be rich. Lord, with the wealth that you have given us, help us to give it to you and trust in your increase. Can we stand together? Give you the blessing. If you'd like to remain for the final song, please do. But um, if you need to go, it's okay to go. Would you go with the music of the kingdom filling your soul? Would you go walking in that faith, that trust that the Father's got you, He knows you, He loves you. Would you go trusting that He's granted all things that you will need? Pray this in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.